Turn with me to Psalm 90, uh, please, as we just get ready to press on. I think we can say we've had our cake and eaten it, don't you? The cake fest. Um, it's lovely to uh, be with you, and uh, I wasn't quite sure uh, how um, things would go. Uh, I said to my own folk at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, please pray for me. I'm used to preaching, but I'm not used to facing questions from these ladies. And uh, I said to Austin Walker... Jeremy's father, for those of you who don't know, who is with us in our church, I said, uh, what are the ladies of Crawley like? <laughs> it's, it's lovely to just think about this subject together, and I'm sure that you would say with me, I agree, it's not so much the theology, although we struggle with that, it's the practice, isn't it? The practice of the, living the Christian life is not easy. It is a battle, it is a wrestle, it does require self-discipline and so on. So we, we just want to learn together, don't we? So we, we, we had our explanation, we had our introduction, our investigation, our exposition, we've had our discussion, we've had our luncheon, we've just got our application to go. So let's read Psalm 90 to help us uh, with that, shall we? And like we said this morning, Psalm 27, and uh, that particular verse 4 was, uh, 14 rather was so helpful. Here we have, um, sorry, verse 4, yes, because verse 4. Here we have in Psalm 90, uh, verse 17, to particularly notice as we read. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The authorised version there says like a tale that is told. The days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labour and sorrow for it is soon cut off. And we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. 
O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Theologically, we have seen that the beauty of God is present in his being, is found in his attributes, emphasised in his holiness, declared in his creation and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And here the psalmist says, let this beauty, the beauty of the Lord our God, be upon us, us there be a reflection of the beauty we thought of this morning though falteringly and with difficulty and just awed by it let that beauty reflection of it be upon us now this is where this little booklet uh, which i picked up from the house of uh, our friend who's now in that beautiful place of glory um, I picked this up and I don't know its theological background. I don't know the circumstances in which he had these little books. Um, they're published called Evergreen, the Evergreen series by B. McCall Barber. I have no idea. But what I do like is what the writer says at the beginning. Let me quote it to you because it helps us really sort of get going this afternoon. It is ever the desire... And the design, as it is also the delight of God to do us good, to bless us and to beautify us. The desire and the design and the delight of God to beautify us, to fulfill his gracious purpose and plan. He has made all sufficient provision our supreme endeavor then should be to so relate and so adjust ourselves to him that in cooperation with him his design shall be realized and his desire be gratified thus also shall our deepest longings be satisfied for only as we are in agreement with God can we be truly at peace. Uh, that's wonderful writing because that is very, very scriptural. And I want to just show you that by taking you to three texts as we begin this afternoon. So Psalm uh, 90, we'll come back on, uh, uh, again too because that's our sort of key text for the afternoon. But please turn with me to three texts. Psalm 45, so backwards in your Bible, just a few pages. Psalm 45 and verses 10 and 11. 
Psalm 45, verses 10 and 11. This is a a glorious, it's a messianic psalm. It's speaking out of the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see that from the early verses. And uh, then there's this um, uh, verse 10, which is speaking to uh, the church, to God's people. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house, so the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. So our writer friend, who we don't know who he is, he said it's Christ's desire. And we can see that that is in accordance with scripture the king surely the king of kings the lord of lords the lord jesus christ has a desire and that is for your beauty speaking in old testament terms but speaking us from to us from the living word through the scriptures to the church in the new testament to us here is christ's desire for the beauty of his people secondly then just your finger if it's still in psalm 90 We'll go back to our verse, verse 17. So we see that this psalm is about the mortality of us in our lives. Often read, isn't it, at funerals, Psalm 90. Uh, Familiar words of verse 12, teach us to number our days. We may uh, gain a heart of wisdom, apply our hearts uh, to wisdom. But in verse 17, we see that this is to be our desire. So we've, we've seen it's the desire of the Lord. And the psalmist here says, let the beauty of our God be upon us. It is the Christian's desire, meeting the desire of the Lord. And uh, that little quotation which we read out talked about design, didn't it? So again, if you can keep your finger in all these different places, go over to Psalm 149, uh, right near the very end of the book of Psalms. Psalm 149, verse 4. Psalm 149. This is a psalm of praise, like the psalms right at the end of the book of Psalms, wonderful psalms of joyful, great, great joy and praise to God. And in verse four, it says this, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And what the psalmist is saying to us there is this, is not only is it God's design, it's not only is it God's, sorry, God's desire, and it should be our desire, but it is his design. It is his design. It's what he plans and purposes to do. He will. He will. There's lots of things that God will do. And this is one of the things he will do. He will beautify, he will beautify his people with salvation. Now, when we say salvation here, I think the salvation here we're talking about is not the salvation of the day we're saved. We're brought from darkness to light, from, from death to life. It's not the, 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 the salvation from sin, but it's all our salvation. It's the big picture. He will beautify the humble or the meek with salvation. Salvation being that big picture of God's election before time began, of redemption, of regeneration, of justification of adoption of sanctification and glorifying glorification his beauty is reflected in the salvation of his people 
He will do it. It's his desire. It's his design. He is working towards it. And it should therefore be our desire, shouldn't it? All those things that God wants and desires for his people, they should be met by our desire. We should put ourselves in in that place and do those things and think in those ways and uh, order our lives so that they are in accordance with God's desire and his design. Sanctification is that working of the Holy Spirit within us and us working out his purposes. Now, just to continue with just our introduction for this afternoon, let me read just one more little bit from this little booklet because this is helpful. Uh, the writer says this, Beautiful is what God means our life should be. Beautiful is what it ought to be. Beautiful is what it may be. Beautiful is what he is able to make it. With us, then, lies a decision. Shall it be beautiful? Do you want it to be beautiful for him? It's his desire and his design he will work it out but sanctification is that work of cooperation with the spirit of God where we say Lord yes please will you do this in my heart and my life make me beautiful for you now I've got six things this afternoon but they're shorter than this morning so we won't ho hopefully we won't um, spill over time I can't remember is it 3.30 we finished right well we'll set off number one our uh, sorry Christ's beauty is reflected through our salvation by him Christ's beauty is reflected through our salvation by him and by him I mean in him through him because of him and I do mean here being saved I don't know you ladies I know just some of you just a little bit that's all um, and I don't know maybe you're here this afternoon and you are not yet saved you know your righteousnesses are like filthy rags there is nothing good in us. Everything is tainted by sin. We are hell-bound sinners under the wrath of God. And the Bible is clear. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And what we see as beauty, we think we're living out some goodness in our lives. Before we're saved, we think we've got some, something good to look at, something to admire, something beautiful. But as we heard in our discussion, beauty's only skin deep. It's what's in the heart that God looks upon. He searches the heart. I used to love Debenhams. <laughs> 
My trousers are from Debenhams. But there's a real difficulty with men going into Debenhams. You know why? Because if it's anything like the one in Birmingham, where I used to work, or in Derby, you had to go through which department first? The beauty department. The beauty department. And uh, my wife uh, only has one type of perfume, so I don't have any difficulty in knowing what it is. It is called beautiful. I don't know what your husband is like if you're married, but uh, this husband finds it very difficult to go up to a lady made up to the, you know, nth degree at a, at, a, at a counter in Debenhams and say, excuse me, do you sell beautiful? <laughs> no, that's Estee Lauder. Who? Who's she? You know what the Bible the Bible has got a a Debenhams text and it's this charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised Proverbs 31 and verse 30 now, it may be what you are trying to do is to cover up your sin and your unworthiness and your filthiness by covering it with not Debenham's beautiful, but all those things which you think will, in the end, when you stand before God, be enough to say, you are beautiful. You can come into my heaven which is all beauty. But it's not enough. And we reflect the beauty of God only when we are saved. And he clothes us with that which we've been singing about, the robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when he was on the cross... The filthy robes that are our righteousness were placed on him. He is the altogether beautiful one, clothed in our unrighteousness, so that when we stand before God on the last day, he can say to us, you are beautiful. Because we are covered in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So simply by being saved, the youngest Christian here, you may have only become a Christian just recently, but you are beautiful in the sight of God, in your justification, covered in the righteous robe of Christ. That exchange has taken place, and he sees you in Christ, and he sees his son as beautiful. But of course, sanctification is a different thing. It is as we go on as Christians, we realise that indwelling, remaining sin needs to be dealt with. We'll deal with that in a moment or two. So first of all, we can say Christ's beauty is reflected in us and through us, through our salvation, by him. Number two, 
Christ's beauty is reflected through our contemplation of him. Our contemplation of him. Now, what's contemplation? Uh, contemplation is something that we do and uh, fix our minds on, turn things over, think about in detail, don't give glib answers. So when we think of this morning and the merchant, when he was looking at his pearls, he would look at each pearl carefully, in <clears throat> detail. He would know its, its intricacies and how it compared with other pearls so that when he had that pearl of greatest price, he knew it well. Anne and I listened to Vernon Hyam preach on those verses in that parable some years ago. And uh, Vernon Hyam, he wrote the hymn, Great is the Gospel of Our Glorious God. And he stood at the front of the church and he had this pearl in his hand like this all through his sermon. He spent the whole sermon with a pearl in his hand. Of course, he had nothing in his hand. But by the end, we could all see it. This is the pearl. And he would say, if I can impersonate him, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> My walker would love that. Isn't it beautiful? You see, what he was trying to emphasise was, and what we're saying here is that we are to contemplate, look upon, think upon. The psalmist said it, didn't he? I want to behold the beauty of our Lord. And when the Shulamite woman in Song of Solomon is asked that question that we read out this morning in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and verse 9, so what is your beloved more than any other beloved? She didn't give a glib answer and say, oh, he's great looking. She told the questioner in great detail, didn't she? That poetic detail about his eyes and his hair and his, his arms and his legs. She knew. How did she know? Because she had contemplated him. She had thought about him. And she could bring that summing up. He is altogether lovely, but only because she had contemplated him. The merchant knew that all other pearls, well, they were really not worth anything compared to this. And the Shulamite woman knew that there was nothing like this one, this one was altogether beautiful. And we need that time to contemplate, meditate, think upon. So we had the question this lunchtime, and it's a good question. How do we do that? Well, we have to set ourselves some time, some space to do that. At the end of this uh, message, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the, the last words of a, a, a lady who I've come to love. Uh, a lady who, in the late 18, uh, 80s, 1890s, went as a missionary to Algeria. Her name is Lilius Trotter. 
you may or may not know her name, but you can Google her and find out a bit about her. She was a lady of means, lived in London, and she was a very, very good artist. And by a set of circumstances, she came into touch with John Ruskin, John Ruskin, the art critic of those days. And he said of this woman, you could be the greatest female artist of a generation. Everybody will know your name. And she was converted and she turned away from it all and she went out, funded by herself. She was one of those ladies, a bit like an Amy Carmichael and a, uh, and a Gladys Aylwood and these, these ladies uh, uh, who sort of break all the rules, as it were, and, and yet serve the Lord so wonderfully well. And she went out to Algeria and uh, there she served the Lord. And there were two things about her about this whole matter of contemplation, when you read her life, she contemplated the Lord through his creation. She was an artist. Now, we're not all artists, but an artist spends time. And she spent time looking at plants that had come to the end of their life cycle. So uh, an annual uh, flower that had come to... Uh, the end of its life cycle and was now rather dead looking and brown and uh, yet she saw a beauty in the fact that the seeds were contained in those brown sort of dead capsules and and she looked at it and thought you know this is most wonderful this is a parable really because unless the seed dies and goes into the ground it will not bring life she saw a beauty even in the drabness and the deadness of those things. So she had that artistic eye. Uh, so she was helped by that. And the psalmist actually is very similar, isn't he? In Psalm 8, what does it say uh, in Psalm 8? Another psalm that we, we know well, but we better quote uh, properly in Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is contemplating, thinking about God's work and his, his creation and all that God has done and is. But the interesting thing is that uh, this lady, Lilith Trotter, also had a place, a particular place where every day, on the mission field for nearly 40 years in that faraway place for a lady to be there in a Muslim country amongst Arabs it was a very difficult uh, place and a challenging place where she sat and contemplated she made time to read the scriptures and commit her life daily to God it's something we have to do and she wrote a little blog we would call it today uh, she wrote a little blog called focused focused it wasn't called that but it, but, uh, it, it became that and, and she says this in that article if the son of righteousness has risen upon our hearts there is an ocean of grace and love and power lying all around us an ocean to which all earthly light is but a drop and is ready to transfigure us. Gathered up, focused lives, intent on one aim, 
Christ. These are the lives on which God can concentrate his blessedness. A lady in England read that. Her name was Helen Lemmel. Helen Lemmel lived in the east of England. She was the daughter of a, a Methodist minister. And having read that and thought of the sort of things we're thinking about now, she wrote this hymn. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see. There is light for a look at the Saviour. A life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The writer to the Hebrew says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, consider him. Consider him. And Christ's beauty is reflected through our contemplation of him. Because the more we centre our thoughts about him, the more we think on him and meditate on him, the more his light and his life and his glory will shine through us. Number three. Christ's beauty is reflected through our worship of him. These things build, don't they? Because we need to be saved without being saved. We will not contemplate him. As we contemplate him, we find there is a reaction in our lives. And that is to worship him. So if you've got your fingers still available to turn to Psalm 45, 45 verses 10 and 11, let's look at another uh, psalm uh, to help us. Psalm 45 and verse 10 and 11. We get to the right place. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also in your father's house. So as we read this earlier on. So the king will greatly desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, worship him. Because he is your Lord, worship him. Now, the psalmist uses the word beautiful on a couple of occasions about worship. I'll just give you the references. Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is a good thing to sing praises to our God, for it is, a, it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. There is something about the reflection of Christ's beauty in the believer saved by grace. Contemplating the Saviour, thinking about him, meditating upon him through his creation, through his word, his revelation and worshipping him in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord 
in the beauty of holiness. And in 1 Chronicles 16, we have the original of that that is repeated in those Psalms. Let me just read 1 Chronicles 16 and verses 23 to 29 to you. Here is David. The ark is being placed back in the tabernacle after a time being away a sad and difficult time but now it's returned and he says sing to the lord all the earth proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his wonders among all peoples for the lord is great and greatly to be praised he is also to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are idols but the lord made the heavens honor and majesty are before him strength and gladness are in his place give to the lord Lord, O families of the earth, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering before him. Come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Do you see how we're drawing the threads of the theology together with our together so that there is an application here? It is to see the greatness and the glory and the wonder of the Lord as saved people thinking about our Saviour, dwelling on his work and his wonders and thinking of his holiness because we're coming to worship him in the beauty of his holiness, drawn to him. Number four, Christ's beauty is reflected through our living for him. We said at the beginning, didn't we, it's Christ's desire, should be our desire, that his beauty should be upon us. Maybe some of you are of our generation. Do you know this old chorus? Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity Oh, thou saviour divine, all my nature refine and let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. If our theology of the beauty of God is out there somewhere, it's not touched us. It's here, isn't it? It's in heart and in life, in lip, in what we say, even our very demeanour, through our living for him, being seen as his. We had an interesting event in the Lake District. You probably think the Lake District must have been a great holiday. It's got most of your applications here. <laughs> but... You know, preachers are like that. We get our illustrations as we go along. We gather them like a harvest, you know, combine harvester. We were unpacking on the first day our car next to the car of the people who were in the next thing. We were in a little barn conversion place, and the other people were next door. And they were getting their stuff out. I was getting our, our stuff out of the car. We were chatting together. Where are you from? Oh, yes, nice to see you. Uh, have a great time. Yeah, okay, we'll probably see you in the week. Yeah, okay, yeah, fine. We never saw them till the end of the week. And on the last day, what are we doing? Putting all our stuff back in the car. They're putting all their stuff back in the car. And uh, we, we got chatting, and, he, and he, he, he was fishing. He said, so, uh, so you're retired, are you? I said, well, no, no, not really, not quite. No, 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 I'm still, I'm still working. Then he, he goes, 
so tell me what you do. I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, he just turned to his wife and he said, there, I told you, I told you they were Christians. <laughs> I said, how did you know we were Christians by the way we unpacked our car? <laughs> he said, I said to my wife, they're church wardens. They're Anglicans. They're church wardens. I said, oh, that's where you went a bit wrong. And I've got some good friends in the Anglican church in Derby. We've got some lovely, lovely friends in two Anglican churches, three Anglican churches, the Evangelical Anglican churches. I was with one of them at a meeting earlier on this week, and I said to him, I said to Will, Will, do I look like a church warden? I don't know. What does a church warden look like? Now, I don't know how this chap guessed. I've got no idea. I've got an open-air mission sticker in the front of the car. Maybe it was that. I don't know. But in all seriousness, do your friends, do your work colleagues, do those around you, in your neighbourhood, do they know? Do they see? It's the desire of the Lord. There's beauty be upon us. If we're singing that hymn, let the beauty of the Lord Jesus be seen in me. He is to be seen through us. You know, in Isaiah 52 and verse 1, the, the, the writer is calling out to the church, to God's people. They've lost their way. Awake! Awake! Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your Beautiful garments. There should be something of the savour of the Lord Jesus about us. And this is where theology sort of rubber hits the road. It's whether this actually makes any difference. You see, we could look at it academically, theologically... We could applaud it and uh, say, yes, I see it. And uh, yes, this, this is clever. These words aren't the archetypal glory and adjectival glory and harmonial beauty and all this sort of thing. But it's in your life and it's in my life, really, where God designs and desires that it should be. And we made mention, didn't we, in our question time, about how grubby and sin-sick this world is. How it deviates from that which is beauty and good and righteousness and truth. So you and I as Christian believers, there should be more and more and more evidence of a beauty that the world doesn't know anything about. There should truly be an attraction in us. Last night we had a men's meeting and, and Jeremy said something about duty uh, and he didn't run duty down. Um, he actually said duty is a great and a positive and a noble thing to do things for God for duty's sake. But I would just say this. Duty can drive us. But beauty draws us. I've been in church situations where what is preached from the pulpit, and I have to watch myself here, is that the preaching, 
and my understanding of the Christian life is one of duty, 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 which becomes drudgery, drudgery, drudgery. But when it's beauty, 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 duty becomes beautiful. So in our duty, and we have duties, don't we? As wives, as mums, as grandparents, as ladies in the church, doing the whatever we do. Yes, there's duty. But if we understand it's the beauty of Christ being seen in me as I serve him, because he is altogether lovely, that is a right thing. Two things to finish with. About four minutes to go. Christ's beauty is reflected through the church, which we are to be committed to. Christ's beauty is, is, is reflected through the church, which we are to be committed to. And again, I could say so much more about this, but we talked at lunchtime, didn't we, about marriage having been run down. Relationships in this, in this country of ours, in this Western world of ours, are completely messed up. Children are growing up not understanding or knowing what marriage is, what real, true Christian marriage is. Do you know what real, true Christian marriage is? It is a picture of Christ and the church. So Christian marriage, again, is going to show and demonstrate in its beauty of a husband and a wife committed to one another for their lives. The husband working in love towards his wife all the time, every day, and the wife committed in uh, that uh, uh, respect and carefulness to her husband and the two being one in every sense. So when we read the Song of Solomon... And we read the endearing and beautiful language there is there. I'd love to read it to you. Time doesn't permit that Song of Solomon, chapter 4 particularly. And, uh, well, the church is like a garden enclosed. It's, it's so beautiful. It's, it's, got a, it's got a fountain in it. And it. I mean, we walked around Wisley yesterday and admiring such things. But to think this is Jesus... Speaking about his church, saying that he loves to be with her and within her, and she is a, 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 a garden and so beautiful. And how we treat our relationship to the church of which we're part of, the membership of our church. Are, are some of you holding back from being truly committed members in your churches? something wrong there we're not understanding how beautiful the church is in christ's eyes oh if we said today didn't we if we said today how do you think the church is getting on what describe the church to me oh well it's a mess uh it's uh it's a shambles isn't it really and we're all divided and i was preaching on wednesday in john 17 the lord's prayer praying that they may be one what did he say as we are one. Here it is, you see. How is, what is Christ's thought there? The oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, there should be a oneness, but that is a beauty, isn't it? A beauty reflected in the church. And it says we are committed to the church. The church is his beauty, his beautiful 
bride. He is sanctifying her, preparing her. One day she will be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So here's our last point. Christ's beauty is reflected through our hope of heaven. We said it at lunchtime. The NIV version of Psalm uh, 96 and verse 6 I've written down here. So one more psalm just for us to look at. Psalm 96 and verse 6. I'm racing to a close. For those of you who've got to make journeys, 96. Psalm 96 and verse uh, 6. Honour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So the psalmist is saying at the beginning, sing to the Lord, sing a new song. This is to God's people, declare his glory among the nations. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And verse 6, honour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The NIV says strength and glory are in his sanctuary. There's a glory in the church. But where is glory? What is glory? Glory is the fullness of beauty. And beauty is a reflection of the glory that one day will be. So in the church, in our lives, there is to be a beauty which one day will be a fullness of glory. So when we're in heaven, what will be the beauty? Will it be those beautiful angels? What beauty is in those angelic beings? Will it be the beauty of the golden streets? Will it be the beauty of the trees with their ever-present fruits and that lovely river flowing between them? No, McChain has it, doesn't he? The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Isaiah 33 verse 17 your eyes will see the king in his beauty in his beauty a prayer of Augustine oh matchless beauty of our God so ancient and so new kindle in us your fire of love fall on us as the dew. O matchless beauty of our God, so ancient and so new, enfold us in your fire of love. Anoint us with your dew. This lady, Lilith Trotter, on the 27th of August, 1928, lay dying in her beloved Algeria. She was in the room which she spent those years in where she focused on the Lord Jesus each day and she was looking out of the window and her friend Helen uh, Freeman was there with her and others were with her tending her in her dying moments and Helen said to her when she was looking out of the window are you seeing beautiful things was she thinking about the beautiful sky or the the sunshine or whatever? I don't know. But uh, the last words of Lydia Trotter were these. Yes. Many, many 
beautiful things. She was looking forward to glory. What she could see was the many, many beautiful things to come. Shouldn't we reflect the beauty of God in our lives today? Let's pray, ladies. Lord, we thank you for these things. It is the application of them that is hard. Uh, we acknowledge that before you and pray for strength, for determination, and for the aid of your Holy Spirit, Lord, because we cannot uh, ourselves uh, work up some uh, wonder in our lives of your beauty, but we need your Holy Spirit to reveal the Lord Jesus to us and to lead us on in these things thank you lord for our day together we have so much appreciated uh, one another and uh, those who have helped us today in so many practical ways but we pray lord god that we may seek to go away to work these things out so they may not just be a passing fleeting moment but we may see in the future many beautiful things as you lead us in your word to your son and eventually to glory we ask in jesus name amen, amen. jeremy I hand over to you